All right. Hey, they gave me a much bigger place this year. I'm really excited. It's great to see you guys. Um, just a note, tomorrow's talk says introduction. It's going to be like, I'm giving a talk tomorrow morning. It's going to be a lot. It'll be introduction, but it'll be a little bit more than introduction. This morning was domestic trafficking. Tomorrow I'll be focusing on international trafficking um, and the situations there. Uh, Jeff Barrows, I hope you had a chance to hear him talk. We're trying not to overlap each other's um, information uh, too much. There's actually quite a bit of information, so we won't overlap too much. But tomorrow is international and a little bit touching on some topics about prostitution, migration, and, and what it looks like on the international stage. Because I am based in China. I've been in Asia for 10 years, in China for the last five years. And I, my interest and, uh, and uh, work in human trafficking began on the Thai-Burma border. I was working in a mission hospital, seeing a bunch of Burmese uh, immigrants, migrants, illegal people being moving back and forth, illegally, legally, however. But on the border, I began to see a lot of the consequences of, of their migration. Trafficked or not, I couldn't really tell. But it was migration gone badly. Then I began to link up with colleagues working in Bangkok in the reaching out to prostituted women in Bangkok, doing clinics for them, being informed like, hey, there's, there's a huge need here. Move to China. Began to seek out ways to uh, reach out to these women using health as a tool for outreach to meet their practical needs, um, to love them in a practical way, doing clinics for them, educating. I moved to northeast China, uh, have done outreaches, and now a lot of my work involves, I'm based in China, I do, outre- I do consultations to projects within China, but also throughout Asia. And it continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. So this talk is about It's mainly about the health and human trafficking, health consequences. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, how specifically physicians can be involved. Uh, Dr. Barrows touched on that a little bit, and I'm going to try to unfold that a little bit more practically for you guys today. So some learning objectives. The need. Really, since 2000, there have been articles and needs calling out for physicians to be involved in The Lancet, Uh, The Lancet 2010 says countries, organizations need to have healthcare involved if they want to deal with this situation realistically. But is there much going on with health? No, not right now. In 2003, Kathy Zimmerman, who's published probably the most data on the health consequences of human trafficking, she says basically one of the first recommendations she says is just recognize this as a health issue. So the need is there. And there is intersection, as we learned this morning. You know, there is very few professions where we are actually on the front lines, and healthcare is one of them, in emergency departments or in outreach clinics or wherever you are. I mean, maybe wherever you are in the world, you have the potential to meet a trafficked uh, person. So that doesn't mean you're going to be able to see them or meet them, or know who they are. Sometimes you have to go looking for them. But we're going to talk a little bit more about how you can be proactive in being in addressing health consequences. So, 
your role as a healthcare professional. You can understand the unique concerns and issues of these survivors, and you can use it as prevention. Just as we, we it's poverty alleviation, it's community development, it's understanding the pull, the push factors for why people are being being vulnerable to trafficking in the first place. Health has a Health has a big part of that, which is why you guys are here at a missions conference. There's identification. There's research, advocacy, service, which is the basic health care part of it. And understanding that caring for TPs, trafficked persons, involves much more than just clinical care. So some women from India. So basically, the health risks of trafficked or uh, trafficking in persons, trafficked persons. Basically, we don't really have much data. I mean, the, the call is for evidence-based healthcare, right? Well, we're, we are surely lacking data. We have an idea of what the health risks are. And basically, a lot of these people, at baseline, they have poor and chronic conditions. They have crowded and unsanitary living conditions prior to being trafficked, but also while in the traffic situation, poor nutrition, and we have lack of access to health care. They have cultural and social isolation. Either they're, they're trafficked, they're unable to move, or they have a, a stigma, discrimination, uh, and unable to get health care. For example, in India, some women were complaining that they couldn't get health care at a hospital until they had sex with the clerk to see the doctor. Because the clerk said, oh, this is a loose woman. So you want to see the doctor, huh? Well, that's, that's just what it comes down to sometimes. And so they have a lot of restriction. Uh, growth and development problems in children. And basically, there's comorbidities just compounding one upon another. Um, so I'm going to explore. There's six basic health categories. Infectious disease, non-infectious disease, reproductive health, mental health, substance abuse, violence. And I'm a pediatrician, so I always bring in children. And they suffer from all of these other six categories. And they also, because they're children, it's a more cumulative impact. Because, as you know, adolescents, children are more likely to contract STIs, have a, more, have a worse um, course of a sexually transmitted infection. They're particularly sensitive to the toxic environment, drugs, abuse, and violence. Um, because of their small size and their lack of autonomy and the maternal child health consequences. And so whatever their mom was exposed to while they're pregnant, they've already got a bad start, put them in a toxic environment, and it's just going to be a generational cycle of health issues, but basically of abuse. So infectious disease, of course, we think of sexually transmitted infections, we think of HIV, but you've also got to think of tuberculosis. You've got to think of other sexually transmitted diseases, also skin infections, malaria. Uh, and when you're thinking about traffic victims who may have come from another country, you may see a person with a tropical disease in New York City because of something that they've picked up and transported with them. Um, you may see skin infestations because of their unsanitary conditions scabies, maybe lice, or just boils. Uh, just I see, well, in my experience in, in, in Southeast Asia, a lot of just 
chronic skin infections, staph infections. Um, and then with infectious disease, when you're caring for someone who's been trafficked, we, you know, you, you want to deal with the obvious, but you can't forget some of the chronic conditions like vaccinations and, and prophylaxis and making sure that they're being cared for things that they may have been exposed to or have a high likelihood of exposure. So this is one of the things where we need more research. And so we have to know some of the, some of the diseases that they need prophylaxis for or the things that they're more likely to get. Sexually transmitted infections, um, because of their lack of health care, they, they may come in chronic forms, disseminated forms. We're saying second and third stage syphilis, and not just the first stage. Uh, you may see unusual forms. You may see infections. There's TB. I mean, don't forget TB because of their crowded and sanitary infections, their risk for HIV. Um, so make sure you check for that. Also, I know that some stateside and uh, maybe in, in other countries, they can go around the corner pharmacy and pick up antibiotics for whatever. And so they have a sexually transmitted infection or whatever, they just go around the corner and get a little amoxicillin, amoxicillin for everything. And so the standard treatment is not going to be, be, it's not going to be effective. They're going to be resistant because they have multiple infections inadequately treated. I've also heard that there's some women in the States whose clients are doctors. And so they may get some random medications from their clients who provide it to the prostituted women. So also don't forget the males. Um, I, this reminds me, I'm going to talk a lot. Most of my area of expertise is in the sex trafficking. However, I don't want to ignore the 70% of labor trafficking. 70% of trafficking in the world is actually labor. But my experience tends to be more focused on the sex trafficking, so most of my anecdotes and things have to deal with that. Um, but there is a lot to do with the there is a lot of health consequences associated with labor trafficking as well. And don't forget that, of course, male may present with no symptoms. And don't forget that males are also trafficked, boys and men, um, for sex or labor or whatever. Non-infectious disease uh, tend to be chronic. Um, it could be related to their traffic situation but it could also be related to a chronic condition that they have, such as asthma or diabetes. Uh, when looking at what homeless children are suffering for, what they're most concerned about regarding their own health is just getting medication for their asthma. I mean, yeah, they're concerned about being, they're concerned about the violence, they're concerned about their trauma, but they can't breathe. <laughs> so we can't overlook the other chronic things. So taking history, you must be complete. And anemia, fatigue, headaches, body aches, a lot of these things are associated with their emotional state. But it may be clues to some other physical chronic condition. It may have trauma, sequelae of trauma. Um, also think when you're dealing with labor trafficking. You know, if you know, well, these guys have been doing this kind of work. So you want to pay attention, well, what are they breathing? If they were working in some kind of factory, were they breathing some toxic substance or were they exposed to some uh, chemical on their skin? Were they working in dim light and their eyes are hurting? Things like that. So knowing something about their, their work environment uh, will give you a clue to the kinds of problems to look for.
physical symptoms. Now, these are reported symptoms. As I said, Kathy Zimmerman, this is from a study that she's done, and she's, these are reported sim- symptoms. These are not, I mean, she has done a phenomenal amount of work. None of it is actually, di- none of these problems are actually diagnosed by physicians or nurses or other healthcare in an evidence-based form. These are self-reported findings, not diagnoses. And so one of the things I'm going to get to is more research so we know exactly what their problems are. So, but knowing about their eyes, these are the things that they're complaining about, okay? So give you an idea, it's pretty broad, pretty general, pretty nonspecific, which is just what doctors don't want to have to deal with. Um, But it's something that they're, this is what they're feeling, and this is what they're going to complain about. Reproductive health. Uh, you know that adolescents, they have higher risks and are at risk for a longer term. Um, they have poor underlying health. You I think of HIV. Uh, the thing about reproductive health is that as I'm going around mostly Asia and talking with women, they actually don't have a very good understanding of their own anatomy and physiology. If you talk about a lot of girls who are trafficked, come from countryside, they don't even have a middle school education. And so trying to understand about the birds and the bees, I, asked, I actually talked to someone in China who thought the babies were born out of their, their belly button. I mean, how things actually work, not always explained, not so clear. They know about, unless they've been around people who've born and, or if they've had babies and things like that, but sometimes you come across people who just don't understand how things work. And so... I've been doing some trainings with them. We'll get to that later. But they, you know, if you're ex- you're trying to explain what's going on, you might have to really scale back or make sure you, if you're working through an interpreter, that the interpreter understands what you're talking about as well so that they can fully understand what's going on. And so there's an infertility risk. And it's just this issue. I mean, if they're involved in sex trafficking or if they're trafficked in in a labor situation, a lot of women or men will be raped. And so this is very, very sensitive. It doesn't matter if that's what they've been doing for the last five years. It's still a very intimate and sensitive subject to them. So you have to be gentle when you're discussing with this. Uh, Pregnancy um, is huge. And, And the thing to understand is that being pregnant is a risk factor for having increased violence done to you. And so when we get down to, is it, when you get down to the maternal child health consequences, then it's also an issue of the poor nutrition, exposure to toxic substances, um, also exposure to illicit drugs, yada, 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 miscarriages, poor birth outcomes, um, poor child health, more visits to the doctor, more pressure to make more money, more risk more sex work. But it's very, very important. I talk to the teens. What what do they really want? They want to have a family. They want to have real love. <laughs> they want to have their own children. And they want to be safe. And so it's really important to begin to address that. And not to... They may have a very serious issue. They may have to have a hysterectomy because of disease. They may, they may be scarred, 
But it's really important to be sensitive to this deep down desire that what they still want is a normal, healthy, reproductive life and to have children on their own and have a nice family and white picket fence and all that. Um, So it's important to address this, um, not give up hope, but also be realistic. But not to skirt the issue, oh, well, you know, and just focus on... They're going to have immediate needs. Um, You know, they're going to have infections or maybe they're pretty sick. But you have to understand that they don't understand... A lot of... Because a lot of these people are not very well educated, they're not understanding all the risks of disease and things like like we are, like the general um, average American. What they understand is what they feel and that they've been through some horrible situation and that you've got to start by meeting them where they are. And reproductive health is, is a big issue for them because they know. They know what they've been doing just can't be good. And so they want to know that they can be whole again. Mental health. This is probably the most important issue, probably the most important contributor to morbidity, um, and it's it's the most difficult to treat, most difficult to address. Um, PTSD, neuroses, somatization, a lot of eating disorders, a lot of kids, a lot of adolescents with eating disorders, um, and the suicide. Forty-one percent of prostitute girls in in the U.S. Um, have tried to commit suicide. Um, and so we see a lot of behavioral disorders, OCD, um, a lot of depression, anxiety. Uh, in, in India, 90% of the women were clinically depressed. Uh, 50% had suicidal ideations. 25% had actually tried more than once to kill themselves. So addressing mental health. Well, this is actually very difficult uh, for anyone, especially doing it cross-culturally, doing it on a short term, um, in, the, in the short term. But as you're talking with organizations, as you're beginning to develop an interest and want to get involved, and it's important to help. As I'm working with organizations, basically I come alongside an organization and do consultation. And so one of the things that I'm addressing is how can we take care of this? This is huge. Some of them have a really good idea about it. Some of them know it's an issue and are working on it. Some really have not a clue. And they think that what the women are interested in is having more condoms. But until you actually talk with them and talk with the women and do focus groups and some brief surveys, I've seen this happen. You're worth. You're in India and you're, you produce a little bit of data for them just on the, on the girls that they're reaching out to. And they're like, huh, we actually didn't know that they were so depressed and that this was such a need. We thought that they were just interested in health care and condoms and HIV prevention. Well, guess what? I think it was them who thought that that's what they needed. But that's not true. This is why we have to move in, work with people, develop effective interventions. This is the thing that I talked about, evidence space, right? And, and knowing what it is you're dealing with, who you're dealing with, who they are and what they need and what their real problems are. So addressing mental health. I mean, if you're talking with someone, I mean, or as, as, as Dr. Barrows was talking about this morning, um, you know, they're just weird situations. Um, these women are not necessarily easy to work with. Neither are the guys um, because they're confused. 
they don't know who to trust. Everything that's come true to them has been what the trafficker has said. Because the trafficker says, you this, you know, I'll do this to you. If you tell the police this, they'll do this. Well, it's generally true. And so why would they believe someone else? And so they may be hostile, give you stories, not want to talk, really shut down. Um, so it's really important, um, especially as I'm going in as an outsider, to try to help the organizations understand that they need to develop their own. And so it's, it's, it's a process, but understanding that this is a huge, huge, huge need. Substance abuse, another big category. A lot of women uh, use it to self-anesthetize. Um, they just want to get drunk. They want to get high. They don't want to deal with it, the pain, so they get high. Um, they give drugs to their kids so they can sleep all night while they're working. Some are forced to take drugs so that they become dependent on the trafficker. Um, so there's all kinds of drugs on there, tobacco, alcohol, inhalants, opiates, whatever. There's a local and there's local kinds of uh, toxic substances they can chew, smell, drink, smoke, whatever. Um, but when you're caring for these people, withdrawal may be a medical emergency. So be thinking about that. As you're caring for someone or someone's just new, <laughs> they start exhibiting some symptoms. Like, So you, always, you have to keep a pretty broad differential when you're taking care of someone. So, oh, something new happens. You have to think about uh, substance abuse withdrawal. Violence. Um, all kinds of violence, sexual, sexual, physical, verbal, emotional, structural, systemic violence. You know, the systemic, the structural violence is, is just what I said when society is discriminating against them because they're a whore or because they're smelly immigrant or whatever. Um, and so that's also a form of violence that we as physicians need to get beyond when we're dealing with people that are difficult. And I shouldn't have to remind you that, you know, every person is an image of God. And so it doesn't matter what patient you're dealing with. We happen to be talking about victims of trafficking. Um, but they, they can be difficult to work with. And so having a high, def, high suspicion. Um, but about the physical manifestations of violence, you know, they're salts, they're beaten, or just really rough sex, raw sex, just not, yeah, there's a lot of uh, trauma in their genital area, anal area. Um, don't forget oral sex. Head injuries are very, very, very common. So they may have suffered chronic uh, concussions from being dragged up the stairs by their hair, or thrown downstairs, or just beaten. So a lot of chronic concussions may contribute to some mental cognition deficits. So rape and, of course, murder. There's a long-term follow-up. So one of the reasons why some organizations reluctant to get involved in healthcare in the first place is because they know it's expensive and it's chronic and take a long time. It gets messy. There's medicine. There's professionals that have to be involved. But it's important and something that we have to be committed to. Um, and so when you're thinking about long-term, for example, uh, cervical dysplasia and cancer to long-term follow-up um, or other manifestations of their 
of their acute uh, medical problems can continue to manifest further down the road. And so follow-up, tracking them. There's family planning, fertility. Remember, I said that they really want to have a normal reproductive life. And uh, just the mental health, there is a recovery stages. I mean, you could give a whole talk on just the mental health issues of this. So recovery stages, um, adjustment, surgical reconstruction, stages of recovery. Um, This is, um, you can look it up. There's two slides of this in, in the interview. I don't have to go through all this because there's more to talk about. This is on the WHO website. Um, You can look up. Actually, there is a handout, um, and it will be posted on the doctors. If it's not already, it should be on the Doctors of War uh, website. Instead of lots of paper, losing it, you know, killing trees, you know, whatever. So anyway, um, there's a handout with a whole, like, pages, like two or three pages of resources for you. So we'll get you that later. But basically, a summary of caring for traffic persons is that all testing is voluntary. The thing that physicians have to know, like, there's needs, you want to care for them, they have issues, we have to get on it, treat them, but don't re-traumatize the person by forcing them into some kind of treatment or some kind of test that they don't want to. Okay, you want to do, you want to, you have to do a pelvic exam. Well, first of all, it should be done by the same gender. Um, if you have to examine a male, um, then have a male do the exam. A woman should be examined by a woman. If she refuses, refuse her. Because the first step in her regaining her identity as a person is letting her have autonomy. And she must have the autonomy to say no. Okay, there's all these issues. There's all these what-ifs and scenarios about, you know, patients' rights, autonomy, beneficence, you know, doing the right thing and the right to refuse, all that. I'm not going to get into that now. But it's very, very important that as much as possible you allow the person to make decisions on their health care. Caring for this person is a multi-stage process. There are emotional, mental health issues, a multidisciplinary team, if you can, depending on your situation. Um, There may be more resources in America, uh, maybe not, (laughs) depending where you live. Um, But there are some organizations who do work in in other countries that really do have a a pretty full complement of of people who are ready to help and that are cultural-specific. Others, not so many. Um, data recording. This is a picture outside of a... This is a famous red-light district in Mumbai. Um, identifying victims. Um, knowing what to look for. Dr. Barrows uh, touched on this this morning. There will be a talk on that tomorrow morning. Um, so Dr. Barrows talked about just in the, in the States usually... Um, you know, these people, they're not going to say, hi, I'm trafficked. In fact, a lot, of, a lot of them won't even know what trafficked is. They want to know, like, you can't ask them, are you trafficked? They have no clue what that is or what their rights are or how to go to the next step. All they know is that they've been in a horrible situation and they really, well, they want to be out, but sometimes they want to be out, but sometimes it's really hard for them to leave. Um, 
because of the trauma, the the syndrome, the 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 chronic trauma, their their attachment to their trafficker and their the person who's enslaved them. It's a very complex mental um, Stockholm syndrome. So I was trying to think of it, where they actually like start to love their trafficker and hating him at the same time. Um, I'm going to skip these slides. Oh, I still have 20 minutes, but I want to get to your questions. But recommendations, doing your homework in advance, um, whether it's whether you're doing work here in the States, whether you just want to get some training done, where you're going, um, if you get involved in, in some international trips, which we hope to start doing more of in the future, is knowing about the situation ahead of time, knowing about trafficking. We just heard about being an abolitionist and all the reading you can do. And, and go to these, go to the resource list and start reading up. Uh, sign up for a training. Start reading. Um, but we, are, we obviously need more of this. Um, I said I want to talk about research and the health problems in the in medical in medical uh, in medical arena in the states. It's all evidence based. In Western medicine, you have to prove what you're doing. I certainly want my doctor to know the latest and greatest treatment, what we're doing now, what we're not doing anymore. Um, in trafficking, we can make pretty good guesses at best about what's needed. You can. We estimate that their needs are great and that they're profound and complex, um, but we don't really know. Um, so in public health, the, ac the axiom is no data, no problem. And so I'm actually, you know, I'm working with Global Health Promise. We want to do research. Well, we can't get research funds because we haven't been able to prove that there's a problem. There's nearly 30 million women who have 30 million women and children. And we're, we're just looking at the mothers and children of in sex trafficking and prostitution. 30 million, that's like the 29th country, largest country in the world. And so where's the data to exactly know how best to help them? So identifying root causes and triggering offense. You know, who are the traffickers? And so understanding, and you know what? There are some great resources out there. We need to partner with them to get their information. I was in India. They see kid after kid and woman after woman, and, and they're doing great work, and the, the women are moving on, and they're thriving, and they're doing good work. But I would like to have, I would like to be able to, to develop a project where we don't treat these women as data points but where we can set up a system that's confidential, that respects, the, respects their autonomy, but it actually collects data on what their needs are, what their felt needs are, what their physical needs are, what, and have doctors do diagnoses. We've done, this, we've done this study in India, so we know, but is that true everywhere? I've talked to organizations. They have sites in several countries and they're noticing differences between the girls in Thailand, the girls in Cambodia, and the girls in India. There's distinct differences and they you know, why is that and how is that and, and how can we meet their needs better? 
And so they've been talking to me about, okay, we want to set up a more robust data collection service because it's important to us to better serve the needs of these girls if we know more about what is going on with them. And so we can assume, like the project in India, who just assumed that they were wanted information on HIV prevention and condoms. Well, that's important. I'm not knocking that. But we don't really want to be caught treating these women as vectors of disease. Like so much research, you look at the research on HIV and female sex workers, and they're not... Can you see... I have yet to see maybe one or two studies that actually addresses... Do they actually have children? Do they have... Families are, do, what other health problems do they have? No, it's only HIV or syphilis or something. I'm saying that's not, it's not that that's not important. But in the eyes of the funders, it just seems like we're only cared about how they're spreading disease to the general public and not really caring for them as real people, as whole people, with families. You'd be surprised how many, how many, of the prostituted women have children or actually had to enter the trade because of children or have children while they're in the flesh trade or they're trafficked because or they sell their children into the flesh trade because they think or because either they don't know what's happening to them or they don't have a choice or they're trafficked themselves they have a they have a baby and the trafficker takes that one too so that's uh, so evidence, evidence, evidence. It informs interventions or programs. We can drive policies. And when you have policy, um, it helps diminish the structural and societal violence that's happening. It creates awareness, compassion, and hopefully generates some more funding too. Um, so estimating the burden of disease. So... There's a lot of next steps um, and about how you as healthcare professionals can get involved. Um, we're discussing, there's a lot of talk here, a lot of networking uh, going on just here at this conference to say, okay, we need trainings. How can we work together? How can this really happen? Um, but collaborating with organizations. There's organizations in the states um, who are doing outreach. A lot of, if you've attended Dr. Barrow's talks, you know, he talked a lot about you know, how to get involved, what to do, how to prepare, ways you can get involved. Um, but as healthcare, we can do prevention. We can do outreach. Um, we can start to care for people in villages. But as we're caring for them, we can also, we can also learn about the risks for trafficking. Let's say, uh, for example, there's a lot of prevention work going on in the, in the, in the rural areas in Southeast Asia, where you have more tribal people. I mean, Thailand is famous, but it's not the only place. Um, China actually has a huge problem. I'm getting on to tomorrow's talk. But, but using medicine as an outreach to do more um, outreach and to try to do prevention first, advocacy. Um, doctors working together uh, with the medical legal framework and knowing what to do if you identify. Um, you know, there's some, there's some, you have to be creative. Uh, for example, you know, if you are a resident 
we can help set up, a, we want to start setting up rotations with organizations that have the capacity to handle a physician doing a rotation with them. want to set up, if you're doing a Master's of Public Health, I just met someone, I'm working with someone who's doing a Master's of Public Health. She's doing her field project research in China, working with an outreach to prostituted women and helping them develop the health component of a drop-in center. Um, I think there's, if you're looking for a pro project or if you're looking for a set-up program, I don't think you're really going to find one. But I'd like to start to be creative and brainstorm. Talk to me, talk to doctors at war, talk to Dr. Barrow's CMD. We're going to try to get connected, but doctors at war wants to start connecting physicians with needs on the field, either here or internationally. And so learning about, okay, how do we get, because I, like I said, there's a recognized need for healthcare to be involved. This is a health issue, but it's been slow in coming because of some of the issues um, because of the chronic and the cost and the, and the training and things like that. Um, and also being an advocate uh, to, like I said, law enforcement. Every country is also different. You can start to pray. <laughs> um, also, we thought, as far as trainings, uh, we want to start encouraging people to, to do your own research. You know, you can give, if you're a resident, um, you can do your own talk maybe at a, at a noon lunchtime talk. Just start doing a little talk and saying, hey, I heard this talk. You know, you can download my slides. And, you know, you can just start creating awareness with your, the physicians that you're work training with in your residency program. Or, or your, I don't know if nurses have similar uh, projects, but, you know, noon lunchtime. And just giving a simple talk, creating awareness, starting discussion. Um, so awareness groups, partnerships with groups on the ground. So Doctors at War, there's a booth, first floor. Um, I've also started Global Health Promise um, that's dedicated to addressing health consequences of, of it. we're focusing on mothers and children. There's my email, website. You can talk to me. Uh, so, yeah. Handout, Doctors at War website. I hope we got that up. But it's going to have books. Um, it's going to have online manuals. Uh, for example, this one. This is one that I was a, a contributor to this one. This is published by International Organization of Migration. Um, United Nations Global Initiative Fight Human Trafficking. Uh, one of the things that I want to state is that as a role as a missionary and being on the ground, working with my colleagues who have invested years and tears in, 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 in working on the ground with these people, wherever they are, uh, the culture and the language, and being able to integrate with them and learn from them about what they've learned now, I've spent time in Thailand and China, so I know those areas, but when I'm going to other countries, working alongside them, they have, they are full, full of a rich uh, information. And, and as, a, as physicians, we can sort of bridge that gap and been able to talk with, I have colleagues working with USAID or International Organization of Migration, 
and being able to speak the truth of what the truth of what I'm learning on the ground and not like an 18 month project that's funded. I'm like, okay, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. Okay, let's, you know, we got funding, we got to do this, we got to finish up in 18 months, and then we just leave and go on to the next project. Um, I've actually had. I've actually had people be jealous of, like, wow, you get to stay here and learn this and, and, and really get involved and really get in the nitty-gritty. And um, they, they were sold short sometimes because we're missionaries. Um, but there's such a valuable work um, in the investment that we make uh, to make a difference and make a difference synergistically with... Uh, the community in which we're living, whether it be in America or in China or wherever you happen to be. We have, what, five minutes, ten minutes for questions or something? Yeah. Questions? Yes. Ah, yes. And you're in America? I'll repeat the question. Okay. Uh, This person works um, in Missouri and is working with refugee population. The question was working with interpreters who are familiar with the population, know everyone, and asking and how you deal with sensitive questions that you might not want the interpreter to know. Um, I would try to get objective interpreters as much as possible. Um, the same gender, an interpreter of the same gender, if you're dealing with a woman, get a woman interpreter, and not to have her be a family member, have her not be, if you can, if at all possible. <laughs> um, that is absolutely much better, much safer. Um, so... I don't know how you're going to work that out, but uh, but it's definitely something to be aware of and something you should work towards um, using. Or definitely not someone if there's, I don't know, the situation there in Kansas City, but yeah. Yes, other questions? Yes. Uh, I'm from North Carolina. We have a growing uh, Mexican-Hispanic population. Do you, do you, are you aware of the situation with the Hispanic communities in the U.S.? Um, I suspect that they are at risk. Um, the thing, and I'm, I'm going to address this, but there's immigration and migration. Traffickers fish in the stream of migration, okay? And so there's, there's people at risk. Um, how much of that is trafficking or what they know about it, how they can protect themselves from being uh, endangered, you know, being enslaved. I think is important. Uh, I don't have any statistics, um, but I'm I'm sure there's that's a population at risk. Yes. I should just have a suggestion about the interpreter. Um, that they they're often if you work with the hospital system, there's a language line that you can use. Yeah, in should be. System, which isn't as. But I don't think you're in a hospital situation, right? No. Or you are. Oh. Yeah. 
Okay. That particular language, hospital interpreting is not very reliable, or telephone interpreting is not proven to be very reliable. Okay. There's a 10-minute conversation between what I said and what the answer is, generally. So, but it is a good, unidentifiable source. Yeah. Did you have something else to add? Question back here. So I was just waiting for, like, a trafficked individual to come into a clinic. How is the first contact usually made? How is that initiated? Besides waiting? Oh. Besides them just coming to you if you're in a health setting and recognizing them, how do you get into the stream of, I mean, how are you coming in contact? Well, I think that depends. There's a lot of people doing outreach and rescue, and they're going into areas. There's a lot of work being done with labor and doing a lot of investigation and actually looking for, I'm not sure exactly how that works. That's more on the law enforcement legal side, looking for signs, you know, tracking documents, things like that. In my experience working with people in the flesh trade is that I'm not going to areas where it's likely to happen. I'm anti-prostitution, but to say that not all prostitution is trafficking, but going out and doing outreach to prostituted women, you're likely to find quite a few people who are in an enslaved situation. And so doing outreach like that, not necessarily, yeah, I mean, there's rescue, but there's mostly outreach. Yes? I was just going to say, I'm in North Carolina, and I work with farm workers, so women are prostituted and sometimes taken from different camps by their pimp. Yeah, looking, she said, anyway, you guys should talk to each other. All right, another question. You mentioned law enforcement, and I was wondering what kind, if any, of connections between health care workers and law enforcement who would seem to know and have ends of where this kind of thing is happening and who it is happening to, what kind of connections have been or are being made between health care providers and law enforcement? Well, I would take the initiative. There isn't much right now, but one thing, especially in the states where there's a huge movement, more laws being passed, more police officers being trained, is to take the initiative and identify a coalition where you are and try to find out more about that yourself. They may or may not come looking for you, but if you go looking for them and learning more about that situation. Internationally, it's a whole other story depending on the country. But in the states, there's more and more awareness, more and more trainings. I would take the initiative and go look for them. Just a side note, my sister is a police officer in Kansas City, Missouri. She just found her first trafficked girl last week, and she had no idea about it. Just graduated from the police academy, freshest news, didn't tell them anything about it. And I always ask her, do you know anything? Do you know what to look for? What do you think about this? She called me this week and was like, listen, I finally, like we just came across this girl who was 19 and had been trafficked. So they really don't know that. Right. And the problem is that even in the states, and especially around the world, knowing how to properly care for someone who's been rescued is a huge, it's a gap. It's a huge gap. And 
especially because law enforcement may, if they're not aware, they may treat them more like a criminal than a patient. And so it's important to begin to bridge that gap with the law enforcement to say, hey, no, this is a patient. She's a victim, or he is, or the boy or girl, and is a patient. And so that's one of the first steps to making sure they're properly cared for. And then understanding, you know, what's a protocol? Like, you know, how, where do you start? Well, there's some obvious things, but as I've been talking about before, is making sure that we're taking care of them holistically, holistically and addressing all of these issues that they could have a problem with. Because they may have a problem with one, but not the other. Do I, I think I probably need to wrap up. But come to talk tomorrow. It's going to be great. Because anyway, and then tomorrow is uh, identification and assessment. And then I'm talking on international uh, trafficking situation. Thank you very much.